Today we have Ryan Benneke preaching with us. Ryan is an old friend of Regen, and he and his family are serving in Japan as crew missionaries. Today's scripture reading, if you'll join with me, is from Revelation 7, 9 through 10. If you'd like to follow along in our pew Bibles, this is on page 1032. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who may not know me, I'm a regenerate from way back. Uh, before we were even meeting in this church, when we were still at the uh, iMusicast studio in North Oakland on Telegraph. Um, started attending when I was a student at Cal uh, about 2003. Uh, we moved to the church here in 2004. And shortly after that, I, I left to go to Japan as a missionary, and I've been there ever since as a supported missionary um, from this church. And I'm just really thankful to be back here because this played such a formative part in my own development, my spirituality. I feel like when I come back here, I remember uh, where I came from, and so it's great uh, to be here this morning with all of you. I uh, wish my family could be here. I think I have a slide of them. My kids weren't feeling well this morning, so my wife had to stay home and watch. So it's a little hard to see. Uh, my wife is Jongshin. She's uh, Korean. We met ministering together in Japan. Uh, I have a daughter, Leela uh, Jinhee. I'll say the Korean names too. Um, all right. Uh, Micah Jiu and Hannah uh, Jiho. And it's actually her second birthday today. Uh, unfortunately, she has a fever, so she's home. But I think on the way back, I'll have to stop by and like, pick up a, a cake or something like that. Yeah, we've been ministering in Japan with crew, uh, focused specifically on college students um, for most of the past 18 years. And recently, we moved to a city called uh, Kyoto in order to take over leadership of the ministry there. Um, I thought it was really appropriate that uh, Missio Day was speaking here this morning because that is actually what I wanted to talk about. We didn't coordinate this ahead of time. I had no idea originally that they were going to come. But uh, I may have missed the, the introduction. But if you're not up to date on your Latin, uh, Missio Day means mission of God. And so if you go to their website, uh, as I did last night, you'll see that it talks about this, this phrase, go make disciples. Um, when we talk about the mission of God, that's usually what we focus on, and that's encapsulated by something that we call the, the Great Commission. And it's found at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as Missio Day's website highlights the heart of this command, if you look in the original language that the Bible was written in, the only phrase that's actually in command form is this, make disciples. That, that is the heart of this. And then this 
this uh, commission also give us, gives us the means of how we do that. We do that by going. You could even translate as you go or wherever you go. We are called to make disciples. And we do that by baptizing them into the body of Christ through the sacrament of water. We are visibly identified with God's people in a local church like this. And then we teach them, not just for the sake of information, uh, not, not trivia about the Bible, but we teach them why? So that they can obey everything that Jesus commanded. Not, not merely right doctrine, but right living. That's the focus of our discipleship. And what is the scope of this command? As it says, we are to make disciples of all nations. And when you hear nations, you shouldn't think nation states like the United States or like Japan. You should think ethnicities, people groups, wherever they might be found across national borders. That is the scope that God has called us to make disciples of. And for how long are we called to do this? What is the duration? Well, what does it say? I am with you always to the end of the age, until Jesus returns. And the fact that he has not returned yet means that we still have work to do to fulfill his command. Although this was a command that was originally given to the disciples, it is something that applies to us today. So thankfully, over the past couple centuries, with the birth of the modern missions movement and throughout the 20th century, there's been a greater emphasis uh, on this great commission as the central focus of the church. But at the same time, I think there's a problem when this is overemphasized at the expense of what the rest of the Bible has to say about God's mission, Missio Dei. If we only view the task of making disciples of all nations as a single command that comes at the end of Matthew and is not, correct, not connected to the rest of what the Bible says, then it's too easy for us to ignore it like another command. It's just one of hundreds, right, that the Bible makes. Uh, not only that, but I'm not sure about you. Um, maybe it's my personality, maybe it's my generation, but I don't find commands to be particularly motivating. When somebody tells me, for example, you know, you should stop worrying about that, or you should stop doing that thing. Well, it's not that I don't know what I'm supposed to do, it's that I don't know how, right? My problem is not, I don't, is not that I lack information, the problem is my motivation. And so, in order for us to fulfill this command in the way that God intends, with the right motivation, we need an understanding of it in its larger context, and that context is the narrative of all scripture. Uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has summarized it by saying this. He calls it God's single plan for the world through Israel. There's a reason, you may not have thought about this before, but the Gospel of Matthew being the most Jewish gospel, most steeped in the Old Testament, it's, it's interesting that it's the only gospel that also mentions the church and ends with this command to make disciples of all nations. It's as if Matthew, the Jewish tax collector steeped in the Old Testament, he knew that what Jesus was commanding his disciples to do was not something new, but something that has been God's heart from the very beginning, to make disciples of all nations. It's the culmination of his plan. And so briefly in the time that I have this morning, I want to talk about that plan through three main passages of scripture, looking at uh, where we come from, the past, how it all started, where we find ourselves today in the story, and then where this story is headed. So that as we understand where we've come from, where we're going, we might know better how to live in that story, that narrative, 
that God has for us and find our place within it. So first passage I want to look at is Genesis. Literally, we're going to look Genesis to Revelation. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Uh, before I read it, I'm sure it'll be on the screen behind me, but let me just set the stage. If you remember, uh, Genesis 12 comes after Genesis 11 and Genesis 10. And what happened in Genesis 10 is that after the flood, the, the people on the earth quickly returned to their old ways of sin and rebellion against God. And instead of obeying his command that he had given Adam and Eve and then repeated to Noah to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, they decided they were all going to gather together in one place. And instead of submitting to God's command, they were literally going to try and bring him down to their level by constructing a tower, uh, a ziggurat, uh, most scholars say, where they would be able to, to harness God's presence for their purposes on earth. And so God, seeing this, came down. He scattered them around the world and confused their languages. And yet, even in the midst of that judgment, God had a purpose to use the scattering of all these nations and people around the world to accomplish his greater good. And so from among these nations, he chooses one man, a man named Abraham, living in Mesopotamia, among a, a pagan, idolatrous nation. And around 2000 BC, he speaks to him and he says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in this passage. I, I don't have time to uh, consider everything, but these promises are repeated in different forms several times throughout the, the book of Genesis and then throughout the Old Testament. And in particular, I want to focus on that last phrase that says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, the Old Testament, if you're familiar, uh, was written in Hebrew, but it was translated before Jesus' time into Greek. And if you look at the Greek translation of this um, not this passage specifically, but the other passages that use similar language throughout Genesis, you see that the Greek phrase used is the exact one used in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, Pantatiethne, of all nations. It's the exact same thing that God, uh, through Jesus Christ, told, uh, commanded us, commanded the disciples in the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Blessing all the families of the earth in God's chosen people. That has always been the way that he has worked. The reason that he chose one people, Israel, um, through Abraham, was not to bless them for their own sake, but so that through them, all the nations around them might be blessed. He literally placed them at the crossroads of the ancient world so that as people passed through the nation of Israel, they would see their quality of life. They would see the way that they obeyed God's laws, and they would say, there is something different about this nation that we want to be like, and they would be drawn to worship the God of Israel. And yet, if you're familiar with the history of the Old Testament, we see how often Israel failed to live up to this call to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, so much so that ultimately God exiled them from their land, and even when he brought them back, his promise that he would make them a blessing was still unfulfilled. So what did God do in response he chose to fulfill the promise himself. 
by coming in the person of his son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. And so let's look at how that was fulfilled in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the present of God's plan, where we find ourselves today. And it's a little bit technical, this passage, but I'll summarize. In the simplest terms, the promise that God made to Abraham that he would bless all nations through him, this promise came to all people through justification by faith. Well, what is justification by faith? Well, what it means is we are not accepted on the basis of our obedience to the law of Israel or to any law. Instead, Jesus Christ himself came, obeyed the law, and then through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, he took the punishment that we deserved upon ourselves. So that now, whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Gentile, whether you are American, Japanese, everything in between, we are all justified, considered righteous, accepted, loved, forgiven in his sight, not because of anything that we have done, or anything that we have, or any law that we have obeyed, but simply because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is the blessing of the gospel that God had hinted at from the very beginning through his choice of Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. Now, who through faith accept the redemption that Jesus accomplished by dying on the cross and rising again? We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we might, not in order to earn our salvation, but as those who have been saved, we might obey God's law and we might act as agents of his transformation, his reconciliation, his redemption in all the world. And that is why, at this point in the story, he gives us that command, go and make disciples of all nations. He is saying, as I have died to provide this blessing for you, you who have received that, go and be a blessing to others. All the people all over the world. So this is where we find ourselves in the story right now. But if we want to know how to live in the intermediate period, we need to know where the story is going and how it ends. And that brings us to the main passage I wanted to talk about today uh, that Stephanie read for us at the beginning, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. I'll go ahead and, and read it one more time, if you'd look with me. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is the end of the story. We know where it is going and how it is going to end. We know that no matter what may be happening on the earth right now, 
that one day in the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus returns to make all things new, that there will be people from every nation, every tribe, every language, gathered as one in worshiping him. Why is it so important that we keep this destination in mind? There are many things that I thought about talking about um, in this, but I'm going to discipline myself to focus on just a few. First, just with an example from my own ministry. So Japan, where I serve, is less than 1% Christian, despite more than 500 years of missionary uh, activity. Uh, so years ago, as I was preparing to, to go to Japan long-term as a, a single person, I remember talking with a, someone who had mentored me in high school and explaining to him some of the challenges that we faced in ministry. And he looked at me and he said, why would you ever choose to minister there then? You know, if I'm fishing, I'm going to go where the fishing is good, where the fish are biting, where there's lots of people. Why would you choose to go to a place where the response is so slow? And in one sense, I can understand that. You know, obviously, we want to give as many people as possible an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel, and we want to do it where people are open. But I think um, that God is doing something besides simply saving as many people as possible. That, that, that's not his only priority. And so let me unpack that a little bit. Um, let's think of it in terms of fishing, since that's the phrase that he used. So... I don't know if any of you are fishermen, but say you had this new bait that you wanted to test out. Uh, so you took it down to Lake Merritt. Now, apparently, you're not allowed to fish in Lake Merritt. Um, it's illegal, so, so don't try this, but just let's assume for the sake of illustration that you went fishing in Lake Merritt. And uh, apart from the occasional salmon runs um, that they get in the lake, if you go to the, the south tidal gates, apparently there are striped bass that you can catch, along with the occasional ray that makes its way up there from the ocean. And so you use your new bait, you fish for a while, and you are successful. You catch a lot of striped bass. You fill a whole bucket of striped bass, and you go to your friend and you say, wow, this new bait is amazing. Look at all this fish I caught. I could catch any fish in the world, any fish I want. And your friend thinks, well, well, I guess that's true, as long as you're fishing in Lake Merritt at the South Tidal Gate for striped bass, right? But what if instead you had a bait that could catch fish in any body of water, in any part of the world, which would be the bait that you're more likely to recommend? So in this illustration, the bait is the gospel. Obviously, it breaks down at some level. We're called fishers of men, but it's not literally like bait that we try to, to draw people in, you know? Um, and, and it's less, you know, us fishing and just hoping someone will respond than God, through the gospel, reaching down and grabbing fish out of the water and pulling them out. But I think the point remains, if we think of it in terms of people worshiping God, um, people professing Christ, there's not really anything particularly unique about all the same type of people gathering, right? People from the same background, same socioeconomic class, same ethnicity. That's not supernatural as much as it is just sociological. So for example, in Japan, if I tell people that I'm a Christian, then the response is, well, of course you are. You're a white European American. What else would you be? You're obviously not Buddhist. 
But when they see people who are Christians from another background, another ethnic background, another cultural background, then they take notice because it goes against that prevailing narrative or that preconception that they have about what it means to be a Christian. And so I think that effect is only multiplied the greater the diversity. The more fish take the bait from the more bodies of water around other parts of the world, the more people see that there is something about this bait, about this gospel, that is different, that is powerful, that they cannot explain. It's not just a matter of sociology. When you see people gathered together across different races, different generations, different languages, different politics, whatever it might be that divides us, and you see them worshiping the same God, then there is something that sociology cannot simply explain, something supernatural that is at work there. And that's incredibly attractive, not only when people see that and see the power of the gospel, but even more than that is to God's glory that as many different people as possible, as many peoples as possible, worship him. Because it shows that he's worthy of worship, not only among a specific tribe that happens to share the same culture or language or background, but by people all over the world. So I talked at the beginning about the Tower of Babel and how because of human sin, God scattered the nations. But ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, this is not the plan of Satan. This is the will of God. He ordained, as it says in Acts 17, he, he determines uh, people's allotted boundaries and where they should live so that they might seek after him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God is the one who is behind cultural diversity. And he's behind it because the more people, the more different types of people, with the more backgrounds, the more different appearance, the more whatever gather as one to worship him, the more he is glorified, and the more people are drawn to him because of that. God is not colorblind. Instead, he is all about redeeming our diversity and our ethnicity to his greater glory. So Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it reminds us God is not only about number of individual people coming to Christ, believing in him, but he is about peoples, plural. He wants to see as many individuals as possible from as many nations as possible gathered to worship him. That's why, when we keep this in mind, it's worth it to be a little uncomfortable when you gather in a multiracial, multi-generational church in the heart of Oakland, there may be some things about the church, or the way that the church goes about things that go against your preferences, cultural or personal. And I would say if you don't feel a little bit uncomfortable and feel like you're sacrificing your preferences at some level, then maybe you don't really understand what this whole diversity thing and multi-ethnic thing is all about. That's why it's worth worth pursuing diversity here, and that's why it's worth it that we also cross cultures in places like Japan for the sake of the gospel. That's why we seek to reach the Japanese people and why I continue to be there, even though at times it is very slow going. I can say honestly that this verse is at the heart, these verses are at the heart of my worldview and why I do what I do. Because when I think about that day when 
all peoples gather to worship Jesus Christ. I feel like if things remained the way that they were, that the Japanese people would be grossly underrepresented. And I want to do everything in my power to see as many people as possible in Japan on that day, worshiping our Lord and Savior. And it is difficult at times, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but God is still at work. And so before I close with how we can be involved in what God is doing around the world, um, I want to share just this story with you of a guy named Ryosuke that I met a couple years ago. Um, he was introduced to me a couple years ago by a Christian student because he was interested in studying the Bible. So fall of 2020, we met up. We started to meet uh, every couple weeks to study the Bible. And this continued for about two years. And even though we covered a lot of material, honestly, it felt like it made no difference. I saw no change, didn't really seem like he was even understanding. And so as I would come home from these meetings, driving back to my house, I would often be asking God, what, what am I doing here? Is this making any difference at all? Um, so it got to the point after a couple years and after we had finished one more study that I said, we need to draw a line in the sand. So I asked him, I challenged him one more time, are you ready to, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe in him? And he, he was very quiet, sat like this for about a minute, as, as Japanese people are wont to do, until uh, it got kind of awkward. And then he said, I'm not, but I, I want to learn more. I said, okay, I'm happy to continue to teach you, but you gotta, you got to make a deal with me. There's only so much I can teach you about the gospel through a Bible study. If you really want to know what the Christian life is about and what difference it makes, you need to get involved in Christian community. You need to come to church. You need to meet other Japanese believers. You need to hear their stories then you'll understand. Because otherwise, it's just information. Um, it's not gonna mean anything. So he said, okay. So a couple months later, it was our Christmas Eve service at church. Ryosuke heard the gospel again. And after the service, he met with the pastor and he prayed and he invited Jesus to be his savior. And immediately, he started meeting with the pastor to, uh, to get ready for baptism. Uh, Japan is interesting in that both Christians and non-Christians acknowledge that um, baptism is the point when you really become a Christian. They, they don't really think of themselves or think of other people as Christians until you've been baptized in a local church. There's historical reasons for that, but, but that's how it is. And so usually, you know, you can say a prayer to receive Christ. You can claim to be a Christian. You can even go to church and study the Bible. And people won't say too much about that. But when you say, I'm going to be baptized, that's when the real opposition starts. There's not uh, physical persecution, um, per se, but there is a lot of social opposition. Um, people being disowned by their families, uh, several women in our church who were divorced by their husbands when they chose to follow Christ and become Christians. So Ryosuke, knowing all this, was very hesitant to tell his parents that he was going to be baptized. Uh, a couple weeks before, he finally got up the courage and said, um, I've become a Christian, I've been going to a local church, I'm going to be baptized this Easter. And so his parents showed up uh, the night before at his house, flew halfway across the country, 
with the intention of persuading him not to be baptized, convince him not to do it. Spent most of that night talking to him, trying to talk him out of it. And even the next morning, when I showed up at church, you know, the baptismal is ready up in the front. Everyone's gathered, but Yosuke is nowhere to be seen. Someone comes up to me and says, you know, his, his parents are downstairs. They're talking with the pastors. They're, they're not going to let him be baptized. You know, could you come down and talk with him a little bit? So we went downstairs and talked, um, tried to kind of answer some of their questions, assuage some of their doubts and fears about the church. Uh, but ultimately, they just asked Yosuke what he wanted to do. They said, um, do you want to be baptized? Yes, I do. Are you sure you want to be baptized? You don't have to do it today. You can wait a few more weeks, a few more months. We'll talk about it. Um, if after hearing what we have to say, you still want to be baptized, you can do it with our blessing. Are you sure you want to do it today? Yes, I want to do it today. Okay, last time. Are you sure? He says, I've met the risen Lord, and there's no turning back. So they said, okay, <laughs> be baptized. So they stayed. They watched him. This was this Easter, and since then, um, he's continued to grow in his faith. He's had many opportunities to share his, his testimony, his story with um, other Japanese people who are, who are not yet believers. And he's actually decided, even though he already has his teaching credential and he has a job lined up for him when he goes home, he's decided to stay for two more years um, to go to graduate school. Not because he really wants to go to graduate school or needs to go to graduate school, but because he wants to be a member of his local church where he can continue to grow as a Christian and learn about the Bible. Our God is a missionary God. And from the beginning, he has been on a mission to bless all the peoples of the earth through his chosen people, Israel. His mission finds its culmination in Jesus Christ. And now through faith in him, all peoples, Jew and Gentile, can experience God's blessing of forgiven sins and received his gift of the Holy Spirit so that in that spirit's power, we now might be sent out as his ambassadors to make disciples of all nations and to participate in his work of renewing all things and redeeming creation. This is Missio Dei, the mission of God, and we all have a part to play in it as we anticipate that day when he returns and all nations, tribes, and tongues gather as one to worship him. So lastly, how can you be involved? I'll close with this. Three things. First, pray. Pray for unreached people groups across the street and around the world. Again, it's not about nations in the nation-state sense. It's about people groups. It's about ethnicities. And you can find many underrepresented, unreached people groups, I'm sure, within several miles of this church. There's many resources that you can find to, to help guide your prayers. Um, Operation World, the Joshua Project app or website, prayercast YouTube videos, um, perspectives on the World Christian Movement course. If you only look, there's a lot out there. So I would encourage you, pick something that God has put on your heart. Uh, a mission, people, and begin to pray. And I think as you begin to pray, you'll find that your wallet will follow and perhaps even your feet at some point in the future. So first thing, pray. Second, give. Give generously 
sacrificially to support the work of the gospel among unreached peoples. That giving starts here with your local church. Um, your giving to the church supports missionaries like us, missions like Missio Dei, serving here locally and around the world. So, so give generously if this is your church home. Give to Missio Dei, please, and give to other missionaries around the world. Lastly, go. Go and make disciples of all peoples. You can do that through serving locally with partners like Missio Dei. There are short-term opportunities overseas through Regen and other affiliated ministries. Or perhaps in this room, there are even some that God is calling to dedicate your lives to ministering among an unreached people group in another part of the world. 20 years ago, I was, like all of you, sitting here as a college student, wondering what I was going to do with my life after I graduated. I had been taking Japanese at Cal, thinking that I wanted to go live there for at least a year after I graduated, maybe to work as an English teacher, do some ministry on the side. But as I prayed about Japan, as I learned more about the spiritual needs, um, God really impressed a verse on my heart. Luke 10:2. it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so maybe there are some of you here today where God, as I'm speaking, is stirring in your heart and giving you a desire to go, uh, to be involved in reaching a specific people or being involved in a, in a specific ministry. And if that's the case, please, um, I'd love to talk with you after, so feel free to uh, approach me after the service so I can pray for you. God has graciously uh, included us in his plan to bless all nations in his son. Not all of us are called to go overseas, but all of us are called to be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission, using the opportunities that he's placed in front of us and where he has us, by praying, by giving, and, if the Lord leads, by actually going as well. I also want to say, if you are not a follower of Jesus here today, then your part in God's mission begins with his invitation to trust him. Invitation to turn away from yourself and from your sin and from everything you may have been looking to in this life to give you satisfaction and meaning, purpose, and turning instead to him and his work and what he's done for you on the cross, dying and rising again so that you could be forever loved and accepted, given a new life and a new purpose, a new spirit uh, to empower you so that you might participate in his purposes in the world. So if that describes you today, and you desire to take that first step on your journey of following him, please talk with me or one of the elders after the service. We would love to pray with you. I think I've gone a little bit over time. I come from a less time-oriented culture, so my apologies. But um, I hope uh, that you have been encouraged. And I pray that you might reflect uh, as you go forth here this week and in the days to come about what part God might have you play in this great drama he is currently writing uh, around the world in blessing all nations in anticipation of that day when he returns to complete the story and to bring all people to one in himself. So God bless you and let me pray for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, we... Praise your holy name. Lord, we 
we join with the nations in anticipation of that day when you return and we say salvation belongs to you alone worthy are you to receive honor and glory and praise god we thank you for your infinite and unfathomable mercy in sending your son to die for us to rise again so that we might be called your children and so that we might participate in bringing your blessing to the nations. Use us, we pray, in the places where you have called us to meet the needs of our neighbors, uh, to serve those who are hurting, to bring the gospel to those who are lost. May this church continue to be a, a blessing and a beacon in this neighborhood and around the world. And may you use each person here and their unique role in helping to fulfill your, your great commission. I ask and pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you for spending your time with us. Thank you for bringing that message to us. Thank you also, Pastor Alex, for spending time with us today. As I was listening, I was thinking about just a little bit, you mentioned a little bit about discomfort, and it is, um, I think, discomfort that gets us to move. So, and I, I had a youth pastor, I knew he was talking about when you would sit there and you would hear something and you'd have something stirring inside of you and you'd be like, huh, why do I feel uncomfortable? Well, maybe it's the discomfort to want to speak or to want to say something or to want to move. And um, I was just thinking through the themes of today and just of wanting to move and, and doing. And, you know, the, uh, the God we follow, the, the Christ we follow is a doer. Um, I was thinking about you getting up at 11 o'clock. You didn't want to get up in the middle of the night and go answer the call, but you did. Um, you did something. And I also thought about you asking the question to um, your young friend, whose name I can't remember, but you had to ask the question. You, you, know, you felt like you had to do something. And I'm so thankful that we follow a God who is a doer. And so we are going to celebrate what he has done, the sacrifice that Christ has done for us by taking communion together. So if you um, have your communion elements with you, or if you need them, by all means, please raise your hand and we'd be happy to bring them to you. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples and having a meal with them, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take this and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Please take and eat. And in the same way, he took a cup and said, this is my blood for the new covenant, poured out for you for the sins of many. Take and drink. God in heaven, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for this reminder every day um, that we can remind ourselves all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.